0: Well, so good to worship with you all, and it's nice to have everyone back from retreat, and Gene, um, we want to thank you. Gene, is is that a San Francisco Giants hat you're wearing? Yeah, we forgive you, but uh, we, we still love you in Christ, He um, and uh, we want to thank you and your staff um, for uh, giving of your time. And uh, you know, our staff that went, the volunteer staff, they, they're not like people that just are like hanging out, have nothing to do. They are giving, um, taking time off from work and serving in this way. And so can we just give them a hand and um, thank them? Thank you guys so much. Uh, And uh, there is something uh, so important because I've um, heard something recently and they were talking about how the young people today, the stress and the hardships they face today is uh, far worse than the generation before. right? You think about the leave it at school and you go home. It follows you on your phone. It's, it's constantly there. The amount to now be compared to someone is not just someone in my neighborhood, but now it's those uh, everywhere. And so the pressure is huge, and so it, it is uh, such an important work that we're doing. So VBS and retreat. They're not just nice church activities. There are things to combat some of the hardships and to help uh, some of our children as they are growing up, as they face hardships. And we can testify. Uh, moms and dads, you can testify. They're going through things a lot more difficult than a generation ago. And uh, so how important it is that they have Uh, Role models and leaders and teachers and people in their life. Go bother your Sunday school teacher. Go bother Jean. Hang out. Talk with Jean's wife. Talk about life. Because they'll share things there. It's a safe place. It's different than mom and dad or friends at school. And so it's so important um, as they go through all of these things that we become a part of this. You know, today we, um, in the text that we read, some uh, commentators will argue this is the climax ...of the Old Testament. This is where now the promise... uh, ...what scholars call the Davidic covenant... ...or the covenant made to David by God is pronounced here. This is the the pinnacle of it. This is what all of the Old Testament history was building to... ...was the promise that God is going to establish a kingdom... ...and it wasn't just the earthly kingdom by David becoming king... ...but it was now a kingdom that is to come through the descendant of David or the son of David in Jesus Christ. And we're connected to this. Our spiritual heritage is all connected to this chapter. And so this is such an important part. And in, in it, it's interesting, David starts and he talks about this idea of a house. Living in a house, build you a house, who's going to build this house and so on. Right? You think about the concept of a house. Um, there's something so much architecture. There's something of our soul that connects to the home. Well, why do we like watching houses getting made over or houses that are now fixed up on HGTV? There's something about it. Why do people cry when they see now this house that they had has now a new facade and it's changed? There's something of a connection. Eh, how many times, like uh, I was on Gene, right? He still identifies himself as a, a northerner, right? A northern California person. He wears his giant's hat even these days, right? He lives here, right? Uh, often he'll come into the office wearing his Warriors stuff. And I'm like, that arrow is done. You've moved down here. Clippers or Lakers. I mean, like, come on, you know, KD left. You should leave, right? And, um, but there's something about this, right? Oh, I connect to my home. We do it through sports. Oh, I'm a, I'm a diehard New York guy. I'm a Boston guy. I'm a, you know, Chicago Cubs guy because I grew up there. I have a connection there. There's something about home. I remember years back, uh, my family, we were going up to uh, Northern California to visit, and I grew up there. Uh, and so on our way into the city, I thought, oh, man, this is where I lived as a child up till junior high, uh, Castro Valley. So I thought that'd be kind of cool to go see my old house. And I thought, oh, you know, it's on the way. So I remember pulling over and using kind of just memory from riding my bike all over the city my bicycle kind of finding it, and then I found the school where I went, the middle school, Canyon Middle School, and my house is right up the street from it. And I pulled up, and I remember I was just looking at this house. The house looked a lot smaller, looked older. The neighborhood didn't look as nice. Um, And I remember the memories of walking up and down that hill to go to school. And I'm having this moment. I look over at my beloved wife and my two daughters, and they're just sleeping. Like, they don't care, right? And I'm like, should I wake them up? nah you know i'm not gonna wake him up and i I just we drove into the city got to the hotel um i say i stopped by my my house and it was so nice oh okay yeah when's dinner right you know like there's no connection for me there was kind of a connection and so we have this connection here it's interesting so we look at this passage and we see kind of three things what does a house represent why do we have these connections to where we grew up or the house we grew up in what does it represent secondly is who built the house that we live in, our lives, if we could say our, who builds the house? And thirdly, uh, we look forward to a greater house, the better house, our final house, right? And so there's this three parts. What uh, what does it represent? Who builds it? And where is our house or our home, ultimately? Um, and so we see here, just a little background, David, remember, has now officially become king, in a way. He's done with the life in the cave, in the cave of Adullam. He's done fighting Goliath. He's gone through all this. Saul is no longer there. And so he is now in a place of peace, prosperity somewhat, security. And he comes and he moves into his own house. And he now says in chapter 7, I want to build God a house. And God here initiates the covenant. And in the covenant, it's, you know, the first half of chapter 7 is the covenant, and the second half is David's prayer and response. The wording, the length, is almost identical. Right? In the Hebrew, it's one word apart. It's almost like God says this, David replies. It was like this idea of a covenant of two sides, and they've come together. Uh, and, but we see here, what does this house represent? What does it represent for us today? Um, the house, a house represents what? Security. For some people, a sense of arrival, I've arrived, I've bought a house, or I've, I've signed a lease in the city that I wanted, and they have good schools, supposedly, you know. Um, some people say, boy, it's the American dream to own even your own house. But what is that? Th- th- these are all things. There is a connection to want to find a home, I think, in our souls. I think it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Them having been banished from their home or the garden. And there's a desire always to go back home. And it was far more than a building. It was now the place where God is, right? But what does a house represent? So look at the, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. And when the king lived in his house. I just want us to pause on that little phrase. David moved in, not in the cave, but in a house. But not in any house. It was his house. All of a sudden the big enemies are gone. Saul is no longer around. They've got the Ark of the Covenant back. It represented that Israel is on the map. That he is finally king. He thinks back to when he is called out of all his brothers to now be the next king. And he's arrived. I don't know if you've ever heard this. You know, I'm sure you've heard it. And someone has maybe come up to you and said, man, you're set. Your life is set. I, I've heard that sometimes. I catch myself saying that to certain people. Oh, my gosh, you're set. You could retire, live till you're 100. You're set. Wow, you have, you know, I remember when we, Ashley was born, our nurse, you know, she came in with a very serious face. And she says, how many, uh, do you have any more kids? I said, yeah, we have two daughters. And she said, oh, you're set. Right? She was like really serious. I said, why? He goes, daughters, they'll take care of you, you know, when you're old. Sons, they might leave you, but daughter, you know, she's giving me this whole lecture about that. You're set. Now, but when you've heard it, you never said, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm so secure. Life is so good. I'm set. You said, I'm not set. My career's not set. Uh, we, my house is not perfect. There's things I got to do. My family's got issues. We have things that we lack. And we always say, no, I don't feel it, but that person, boy, they're, they're set. And there might be someone at your work. That makes five times more as you, and boy, they seem like, and you go to them, but it's, your life is set. And if they have any sense, they'll say, No, it's not. It's not set. That pressure can start in our day and age in Orange County, where we live, it starts from preschool. We put that pressure on them to find a sense of arrival. Some kids, they're going to dual immersion schools before they go to kindergarten, they're learning things in two languages. And now they're being compared, and the information that's coming into moms and dads, it's worldwide, and we're trying to keep up, and we put this. We have kids graduating high school, if their parents, some parents who had a little bit of money, they've bribed the colleges so they can get in. You think about how sad that story is. It's not about the character of what you or how you did it. It's just, boy, just the status. That's all that matters. And we live in a society where it's all about the status. All about being set. All about the house, if we could say. They lived through so much. And he says, David says, now I want to build God a house. I want to build God a house so that he could now have a place. The house a temple that is built, and when we were in uh, Japan, you see temples in every city almost. It represents, boy, that there's some kind of good fortune. If we have a temple, and if we build it, and we live around it, we get some kind of blessing from it. And so people all throughout history have been building temples and churches in the middle of cities, so they can now gather around it, right? Many churches uh, in history there, steeple is the tallest, it represents the, the highest place in the city uh, in the old days. And so people would gather around, it was about the building, but God reminds them, your house that you think is so important. David, you think you have arrived. And at this point, he interjects and he says, let me talk to you. Let me give you a covenant about something better. Don't settle for this. We here have to be convinced of this. This is not the dream. This is not the goal. There's something greater that is coming. First, the second thing we we realize is who actually built the house? David builds the house. He moves into his house. He feels like, I have arrived. And you would imagine all these people around him whispering in his ear, David, David, you're the man, right? It was one of those things, they can't even say you're the man to anyone else. Because actually David, he's the man, right? He beat Goliath. David, you're the man. And he is known as the man. And you can imagine maybe it got into his head as he's thinking about I've arrived. I have my house. And people around him say, "You're the man. You made varsity. You're the man. You got into school. Oh, you're you're it. You're special. You got a job. Oh, you're you're special." But you get there, you say, "This is entry level stuff." You make the team, and you realize uh, there's everyone is bigger and stronger and faster than me. Here, God interjects. David says, "I want to. I'm going to live in my house. I want to build God a, a temple. Isn't this great?" And Nothing wrong with building God a temple in a way. But God interjects says, let me correct you. Let's make sure you understand who built your house or who built your life. You know, and he says in verse, chapter 7, verse 11 at the end, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. But he already has a house. He says, no, he will make you a house. He says, this is not the final destination. He's going to make something for us. Some of you hardcore football fans yesterday, you saw that they had the um, NFL, the football hall of fame, and these guys would come out in their gold coats, and they they'd give a speech, and they have a statue, right, a bust of them, and some of that looks like them, some of them doesn't. And it's kind of a difficult thing to watch, right, because these are ex-football players, right, I'm an ex-football player, uh, football players aren't known to be the most, you know, whatever, right? You know, there's a joke about it, right? Oh, linemen and so on. Um, And I used to hear that. And so they're giving speeches, and it's kind of awkward. The hardcore fans are all there. Um, But really, any one of those players who have some sense, they spend 10, 20 minutes giving credit to someone else, mom and dad and the coach and my teammates when we won the Super Bowl. They'll give now an anecdote about their life. The fool comes out. And I've heard these speeches at Hall of Fames as well. And they, get, they just put down other people. And they say it was all about me. You think about your house or your life. And you might have made it. You made it into the gate program. You made it into the honors class. You made it into school. You've got a job. You got uh, All of you. All of us. It is at that point Satan could whisper and say, hey, you're the man. You've done it. And God reminds them that he has built the house. It's interesting in chapter 7, verses 6 through 15, this is where God is talking. The word I, when God is speaking of himself, I, 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 it's in every verse. He reminds David, it's not what you did, it's what I did for you. It's not what you will do, what house you will build, where you live, how smart, it's what I did for you. So verse 6, I brought up the people of Israel. Verse 9, I've been with you and I will make you a great name. Verse 13, I will establish the throne. So it's all about what God has done, not what we can do. And it is so tricky today, especially where we live, to go to church and say, I just want to hear some advice so I could continue striving forward. It's about me. And I want it to be something like a, a, you know, a a self-help kind of talk at church. Just just give me some tips because I'm doing okay. But when we come to church and we hear about God, it's a place where we say, I am nothing. I've done nothing without you. God, you give me my health. God, you give me my ability to think. So I can study. God, you've given my family some sort of money so I can get an education. God, you've opened doors for my job. God, you've given me friends I don't deserve. God, you've given me opportunities that I don't have. Everything is about him. And this is what God reminds him. Before David says, I will build a house for God, he says, this is what I have done for you. This is what I will do for you. And it's interesting. You get to chapter 7, verse 18. David starts responding. He hears these words and he, his response. He looks back on his short life here on earth. He says in verse 18, You have brought me thus far. Some have said, Yeah, it's probably around the age 30. And there's a lot of parallels. Jesus Christ was 30, right? Um, this idea of, boy, 30 is kind of this adulthood that we see here. Uh, but you have brought me thus far. Think about all the things you might have. Maybe you have more than one house. Maybe you have more than one car. Maybe you have more than one degree. Maybe you have more than one child. Whatever it is, all the things that you have done up to this point, you, God has brought us thus far. And then... And he says in verse 19, yet this was a small thing in your eyes. He says, my life up to now, all the things that I think were so important, it's kind of small, God, in your eyes. Y- you've already done it. What is to come is even greater. So guys making it to junior year in high school and making the team or getting the whatever, it's all just so small because what is to come is so much greater. The New American Standard translates that word, small thing in your eyes or insignificant. This is what the house I live in and beating Goliath, becoming king, having a title, position, making this is all kind of small when I compare it to the future of the things to come. And that's the last point we see here. We see that God is the one who builds an eternal house, our final home. Sometimes we hear that and we say um, we think of it in a, a negative way. Now, sometimes we use it as an euphemism for people who have passed away. They've entered into their final rest or final home. But, all, but really, in a comforting sense, that is what we see here. The covenant goes, he says now, it's interesting, in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, when you're dead, I think about our church a generation from now or whatever, however we could, how many decades from now. And most of us will be gone, right, before we know it. This high school will be the old high school in Irvine that no one wants to go to because it's so old, right. And um, you got to find a new place to go. It's when it's all said and done. You see, you live a life like this, uh, but what is to come is for eternity when it's all said and done. He says in verse 12, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body? I will establish his kingdom. He speaks initially of Solomon. But ultimately what Solomon couldn't do, Jesus Christ does. And he speaks in verse 19. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. Something in the future. We are people of hope. You always have a hope. Things will always get better. Things will always get better. And we have to preach that to ourselves. And we have to make sure that becomes now the way we make decisions and choices and so on and everything that we do. We have a future. It's interesting. There's a quote that I read from Annie Dillard. And she talks about how we can live today uh, without a sense of hope. Uh, She says, if you spend your days, and this is so pertinent to us as we live here in Orange County. If you spend your days merely consuming random experiences, you'll begin to feel like a scattered consumer. You'll want to sound. You turn yourself into a chooser. The sort of self-obsessed person who is always thinking about himself and his choices and is eventually paralyzed by self-consciousness. I love that says you become a a self-obsessed person who is always thinking about himself or herself. If we live life to find our pleasure and hope and joy here, here on earth, um, and we think of it as a super grocery store and you're just sampling, the next meal I hope is as good as the last meal. The next destination, I hope the experience is better than here. Oh, boy, the next vacation, I hope it's better than this one. The next house I'm going to buy, I hope it's bigger and nicer than this one. The next group of friends I have, I hope they're better and smarter and cuter than the group of friends I have here. It's nonstop. You see, Jesus Christ, he arrives and in his arrival, talk about him dwelling with us. He becomes our home. Jesus Christ he fulfills what Adam couldn't fulfill. Adam was in a work in a covenant of works. He had to work his way to now be accepted by God. He fails. That curse is upon us. Jesus Christ is known as the second Adam. He is the only one who fulfilled the covenant of works. He lived a perfect life, a perfect offering before God and he offers to us Now covenant of grace. What does he tell the disciples? He's going away. I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house. There are many rooms. Longing for home. That started with Adam and Eve. Being banished from their homes. For us looking here. In the zip codes here on earth. For a home to find some kind of feeling and will ultimately be found in the presence of God, in His in our Father's home. So we look forward. To that. Our joy, our significance, our security, our sense of "I've arrived, it's all set in Him. Don't take the accolades of this earth too seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. Take a moment today, reflect on God's covenant with me, I find my home. Let's bow our heads and pray.